Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 273. And the one, I'm still going to do the series on preparing for the upper level stakes, but I'm going to do a, a seminar for an individual uh, who asked me a question. And I'm thinking about, well, how am I going to write, do I write an email? Do I, what should I do? And then I thought, I thought I'm going to do a podcast to answer this, this question. And I think there might be some people out there that are also interested in this. So I'm just flinging this out there. But the question was uh, that someone who lives basically not around other dog training people, so they mostly train alone other than when they can drive somewhere for a weekend or for, or for something. And so we're going into the off season until next spring. And so the question was, I train alone most of the time. What can I do? And the dog is trained uh, to the highest level in the pointing lab world. Well, and also in the regular retriever world. But h- how can I maintain what I have and be ready for next year when I train by myself most of the time? And I know there are a fair number of people who experience the same thing. And as a as a somebody who's professionally trained for decades and stuff, there was a lot of time, particularly in the winter, everyone's off hunting or dogs have gone home and you know, and I've got a big load of dogs that I've got to train and a lot of the times I was by myself. Um you know, there's always clients out on weekends and always big stuff. But I and I preferred I got a lot of value out of the, the days that I spent training by myself. There is a lot of value, but you really need to understand how to think about it and what what it is that's happening. I got to make this make sense now. It's not like, well, I got to set up a bunch of triples and double blinds all the time because that's what I'm going to be running. So how do I do that? But really, when you have basically from now until next spring, uh, and a lot of it's going to be cold, and there's going to be snow sometimes, and there's going to be wind, and you know, days, holidays, and all that stuff, which is fine. But the value in, in spending the time by yourself is, is huge if you approach this in a real mindful way. So if you think about, and I'm going to bring in the upland stuff too, but this goes for master hunter, uh, you know, hunter finished guys. It goes for all of that stuff. I'm not going to say field trials. You need to shoot wires a lot for field trials. That always requires somebody else. Um, you need to be able to do really long things. and But they also should do a little bit of this as well. So if you think about what are the skills that I need to have kept uh, rust-free. Which ones do I want as shiny and polished as I can have that I can do myself? Um, think about what those skills are. The first one, and these are things that are, when you're by yourself, you can really take your time, set up exactly what you want. Uh, even if you're not exactly sure what you want, then wing it and go set something up and then learn from that situation. But the skills that you want to keep polished and shiny, one is basic obedience. That you can walk from your vehicle or your kennel door or wherever you're coming from to wherever it is you're going to work. Once the dog is aired and is ready, right, make sure they do that. 
Matter of fact, that's actually very important. Make sure that they have emptied themselves and they're ready to go because they don't need to do that when you're doing some of your regular training. Now, if they have diarrhea, they're not well, okay, then. But other than that, they do not. And so if you set up that level of, of understanding in the dog, it's like, okay, when we're out here doing a drill or we're running some marks, I can't just stop and pee um, unless you don't care. But when you do things like that, you open the door to them making choices. And when they can make choices, some of the choices they're going to make may be to not get in the water, not go through the cover, not sit as quick, quickly as you'd like, maybe not take that cast because they really think it's over here. So I have found that, obviously, I am not a jerk with dogs, right? But being fair, you're aired out, you're good, I'll take the time. If it takes five or ten minutes, I will take the time. You're aired out. All right, now we're going to go to work. You're finished. So that's one of the first things in basic obedience. And you're not being a, a, a marine drill sergeant here. But what you're doing in everything that I'm going to talk about is getting into their head with a specific kind of approach on this stuff. And that's, <laughs> that's what the whole point is on this. We want their head staying rust-free. We want their head very clear on what the expectations are. And we want them very used, used to a very unchanging standard. In other words, your standard when you're going out and just doing some line and drills is going to be the same as the last series of the national. Standards should not change. You know why people always say, I never does that at home or in training. Well, that's because your standard's different. And you come here and you're tucking it up and trying to be, you know, real fancy and real disciplined and it's different. So the dog's going, uh-oh, what's up? This is different. And then they do different things. So that when they don't do it at home, but they're doing it out here, it's because you are behaving and, and, and ha asking for different levels of response to you. So remember that. Run every, I don't care, the tiniest little drill as if you were running the last series of the National. Because then it becomes muscle memory, it becomes habit, it becomes what you do, it becomes what your dog does. Somebody recently asked me, uh, do you get nervous? You don't, well, actually they didn't ask me. They said, you don't get nervous when you run dogs. Of course, I don't really, now that I'm kind of ousted from my situation, I don't run too many dogs, but I did for 40 years. And so the question was, you know, you don't get nervous. And I, I said, of course I get nervous. I mean, I want things to work. I'm, don't, I'm not in control of everything. I don't know what's going to happen. Someone's paid me. I need to do well. But I'm not doing anything any bit differently than I do every day. So as soon as I come out of that holding blind and, and head towards the, li the line, I'm like I am every other day of the week. We do things exactly the same way. I know exactly, the dog knows exactly, our communication is extremely well established, and so we're okay. So yes, do pros get nervous? Of course, they get, you know, the adrenaline goes, especially if it's a dog that's a little wild and crazy, you're like, okay, man, we gotta hold this together. But the real reason is the way you train all the time. All you just do is do that again. And when you watch those people who do it really well and looks like they're just, you know, having a cup of tea and running a dog, they are doing what they do best and it the same way that they do it every single day. And so literally the muscle memory, the mental memory, the response of the dog, 
already built and established. And so you can relax a little bit when you have that going. So remember that. Remember that. Keep your standards. Last series of the National. Everything you do until it just becomes the way between you and your dog. And you're not, you don't, you're not me. You're not, I didn't say get after them, strap the collar on. I didn't say that. I just said require that they give you their best effort <clears throat> and require that you understand consistently all the time exactly what the expectation is. So air your dog. Whatever you're going to do, wherever you're walking to wherever this is, right? They are with you. You are connected. You're walking just the way you want to do the last series of the national or the first series of the first test you run next year. Just establish that until it becomes muscle memory for both of you. And that means being mentally in the game. If you're frazzled out over, you know, some life thing that happened, then just go do a walk through the field where, you know, the dog just stays in gun range and you guys just practice the music of going through an upland field together and don't do anything else. That way you both can relax and you still get the exercise and the time together and the communication. But until you've got to be mentally on your game, make sure you do that. Every single time you do anything with your dog. So basic obedience has to be there. Listen to your dog as when you begin to do whatever it is you're planning that day. If they're telling you, I mean, that the people are going, okay, today I'm going to go run a series of blinds. Each one increasingly crosswind to teach that thing. So people are thinking about that. And they're not noticing that the dog is limping maybe on the back foot or favoring it. Or they don't notice that the dog is paying no attention to them at all. And looking over at the bumblebee nest that's over here. Pay attention to everything. Get yourself in the habit of paying attention to everything. So if your dog is a little bit tender-footed, check it out. Is something wrong? Is there a sticker in there? Something going on? You know, torn, a toenail torn? Notice that stuff. Notice if they look at you and they're not feeling well. Notice that stuff. Notice if they aren't paying very much attention to you at all. So your first mission right there is to get the dog's attention on you. Not, don't just start running blinds and go, that'll get him. Because you're going to be fighting a dog that isn't paying attention to you running blinds. So use some basic obedience exercises. You know, do some healing and sitting and hearing and all front finishes and all kinds of stuff. Get them where they're going. Oh, of course. I, now we are reconnected and I am paying attention. Believe it or not, that's a really big deal. You know, I've watched people, they go to the line you know, they either set off their wingers or waving at somebody, never even look down at their dog. It's like, do you even know if he sees what's happening? So be, be, learn to become extraordinarily attenuated to your dog. And then they will be that way with you. So get, make sure that they are ready to go do whatever you're going to do before you do it by having them completely connected and responding and paying attention to you. That's a very important thing. All right, so those are things that you have to have no matter what else you're doing. Now, what are the skills that we want to keep polished? Okay, the basic obedience is one, that, and that comes first. If you don't have that, don't even do the other stuff. They've got to be connected and responding to you. So there's several things. One, we want a dog that marks really well and focuses on the bird, not the birds. <laughs> The bird, when it's off season, shoot, I, I probably 
do 90% singles, 10% multiples. 90%. And there are so many ways that you can work on that. So many ways. Let me, for example, all right, you can, it'd be nice if you had, if you're going to be running the big triples and all that stuff, it'd be nice if you had three or four wingers. Um, really nice. So one of the things you can do is, and don't, don't pile on multiple things. Just go put your four wingers out, you know, at, at summer, one might be somewhat close to the other, the short one, the middle one, a long one, then a kind of halfway back one different, you know, separate from each other so they don't run, get things confused, especially going into the long off season. Put them out there, short, medium, real long, and then maybe a little less long, or always, always keep, never do the same thing all the time. Set up all four, make sure they look like gunning stations. You know, put a chair, you can put a chair and a bucket of birds out on each one of them. Um, you know, the, what a lot of the what pros do is they have the stick men or they have a guy that looks like a guy standing out there next to the winger. You can have a holding blind or not holding blind. Vary that. Don't always make everything be identical because if, in some situation where they don't have the holding blinds that you always use, you, you don't want your dog surprised by that. So sometimes have holding blinds, sometimes don't. Sometimes have a chair and a white bucket with birds in it or whatever that they can't get into. But then we're not doing baby baby dogs right now. And do four singles. So when they come up and look out, especially if you've been competing, right? They're going to come up and go, oh, look at all that. And they think we got all kinds of action. And we do not. We're just going to do one, you know, do the short one. And, and everything in perfection. And I mean that. Everything in perfection. You have them lined exactly where they're going to go. And... It goes off, it quacks, shoots, whatever it does. And don't have exact same timing every time you send your dog. Sometimes tell them to sit. Sometimes say your other dog's name. In other words, if you got a breaker, say stuff like, get it, but don't let it reinforce sit. You know, I don't, I don't do the no here thing because what they're not doing is sitting, so I enforce sit. So make sure if you got, this is a good place for you to work on them resisting temptation if they're a breaky kind of a dog. But most importantly of all, when only one goes off, and if you've been running events, then they're going to look over for the next and the next and the next. Make sure you get that head back where it needs to be and send them. And then run the next one and then the long one and then come back with a short one or vary it, do different things. Sometimes have the very longest one be the last bird or the first bird that you shoot. So that's where they go first. In other words, don't do things always the same way. But teach the dog, hey, it doesn't matter what you see out there. All kind of action looks like it's going to be real busy. But you're just going to go get one at a time. So that way the dog doesn't even swing their head because there's no reason to. At first it will if you've been competing. Now they're looking for the next one to go off. Get them back over where it is and then send them there. So you can set up. Sometimes stuff that's not hard, sometimes stuff that is hard, sometimes stuff that's tight, but it's all singles. So if they blow it, you know, if they sniff the birds from another station running by and you can handle and they understand the correction for that versus all of them are down there. They don't know if they got it or not. It, it's just so much better to teach 
marking, even with a bunch of stuff out there or not a bunch of stuff out there. Just watch that one bird. Stay focused on it and go get it. Come straight back. Do not pee or do any of that other kind of stuff on the way out or back. Come back in. We are now lined up for the next one. So super simple, super clear, not, not a bunch of fuss. The more you talk, and the more you fuss about stuff, the more you pull their focus off of that next bird and on to, oh, God, here we go again. So that's something that you can do all year long that is very beneficial. Just pick something. I'm going to do some marks that are kind of tight, but they're singles. So you learn to, you, you, they learn to go close into where they've been, but not back to it, just on past it. Um stuff like that you can teach stuff like that you can teach one bird that's that's deeper than another and almost on the same line and go get the short one and then go get the long one safely go right over there don't let them go back and hunt old falls do any of the bad stuff that's what handling you can handle them out right indirect pressure on sit is usually a corrective thing for when they just opt out of something when they you know that what they you kind of have an idea because they make a mistake does not mean you correct mistakes mistakes can be made when they intentionally ignore what you're asking intentionally that's something that needs correction if they have a hard time with tight marks then teach them about tight marks don't just start correcting because then you're just kind of beating up on them so that's something that you can do preferably don't do it in the same place that's like somebody dating their sister right it don't don't you need to do different places you know different conditions different lighting different cover hills up hills down hills sideways on hills all of those kind of things that is always a good thing to do and when you're training by yourself you know yeah you got to get them you get them out there and you got to get them back and that's a lot of work but you get excellent work on that dog and you focus on all of those little things and you get to really know how they how they hunt you know how do they search when they how do they expand their search? Do they do it wisely? You know, what can you teach them to help them on that stuff? So that's one thing you want to do. Now, after you do that, after you have those set up, now leave them up there and go put up some blinds, assuming your dog is, the person I'm talking to, their dog is at that level. But you can put several blinds a lot of different ways. You can run uh, one under the arc of the short bird, you can run one just over the top of one mark and deep of it. You can run another one that's just behind the, and it's going to get a whiff of that bucket of birds sitting on the chair and keep going. So a lot of different concepts. Now they've already run the marks as singles, and there's no bad stuff out there. They didn't just get corrected the heck out of and going, oh, I don't even want to go out there again. Um, and so now you can go run some blinds that are related to that one blind at a time right now you got to go set them out don't have them hot so if something happened when on your marks you got in trouble walk out there and set them out it's a real good fitness thing too for people and put those out make sure you know where they are mark them with something that you know the orange ribbon the dogs figure that out if you one of those little fake weed things or something that that's often good but figure something out and then go practice those and then whatever their weakness is 
gee, does that under the arc thing hard or, you know, was running through the old fall, a fall and onto it? Was that hard? Okay, there's something when you do something like this again, you can emphasize more and teach without a bunch of pressure, without the fight, without the debate in each other. You're teaching it and they don't get in a lot of trouble and they get to do their retrieving and they really like this stuff. And so that should be part of a program. If at least a couple times a week um, or two or three, you could go do something like that, it, it, would, be, it would be fabulous. Now, with regard to blinds, also, and this needs to be in different places, you cannot do this stuff in the same place all the time because there's memories, there's history, there's all kinds of thoughts they have in their head that, that you don't want in their head and they're not going to have it in testing. So, so what, one of the things that I really like to do, I really like to do this. And it, it takes, it's a lot of walking and it takes a lot of time. But I'll go out with my guys that are at the, your dog's level and I'll set up six blinds. The, one of, the first one we're going to run is straight downwind because that's the easiest for them. And then each one is increasingly crosswind so that they learn to how, to, how to be handled in a crosswind. You know, they always want to, cast with the wind and they can be taught how to deal with that factor and take your cast and here's where you do it so i'll go set up six blinds and they don't have to be killer hard so i mean six right there can't be a real hot day that's a lot you know if it's a hot day then maybe i'll do four but if it's a you know a nice cool fall or winter day i'll do heck i'll do six of them and get those dogs where what ha a lot of things happen there. One is, you know, you kind of find out where their weaknesses are and that stuff and your own and your handling weaknesses. But it just teaches them, all right, go where you're pointed. Stop when the whistle's blown. Do your best to take the cast and keep going until you find it. Through basically attrition, not by setting up some killer hard blind and then really getting after them when they do anything wrong, which is what people seem to like to do, teach them through doing a lot of this how to just go where they're pointed stop take casts there that's the easiest way now it's the most walking takes time so people don't like to do it but that's the easiest way and also pay deadly close attention to what cast you give your body movement um, what the dog does in response and listen to what the dog's telling you pay attention and use that to become better and better as a, a blind running handler, right? Pay attention. Again, you're at, this is the last series of the National. That's how well you have to handle that dog on every one of these. So get your, you know, you got to really kind of get ready. It's like going into a big game. You got to make sure you're all there and present, ready to do this. And then do it at that level. And pretty soon your dog gets very used to being handled, very used to running blinds. Doesn't, you don't have to get a big argument on the line about where they're facing because they're just so used to, all right, pull over a little bit, go on another one, and just and do them in, in succession from the downwind to crosswind. You can do similar things at varied distances too. I mean, you can have the short one at, at 60 or 70 yards, have the long one at 250. Yes, you want to get that in a hot test or the APLA. Do it anyway. So the dog just unquestionably goes till they come on the bird. Very useful mindset to have in a dog. 
and always acknowledge, you know, a lot of people take notes. Lardy always said, wanted, he took notes, and he always wanted everyone to do that. So that after your session, you can go, man, I did this, I did this, I did this. The dog seems like this is a problem, so I'm going to work more on that stuff. Make sure it, you don't do it in the same place and that you don't do the same. And don't repeat. Don't repeat blinds. I just don't, all right? Just trust me on that. Repeating blinds does not do what people think it is. And again, when you got history out there, I don't know how much learning or how much remembering they're doing. So just don't set that up. But so you got that with the where you're teaching about taking casts into the wind. That's very useful. And you're isolating it. You're getting them to run blinds comfortably. You know, just go where you're pointed and just stop. Take my cast um, while you're teaching them to fight the wind. And they don't know they're you're doing all that. They're just out doing this stuff with you. And you guys get more and more connected. Another thing you can use when you're doing a bunch of blinds like that is you can um, use cover. You know, here you're going to go just straight, no cover. Now you're going to take part of the cover. Now you're going to go all the way through it. And on this other one, you got to go through the, the little creek and then up over the log to it. Um, just teach them that. You may have to handle and go up there and simplify and show them to get them over the log. But teach them to uh, deal with cover with this situation. The other thing that's really good to do is hillsides, where you have a hillside, right? So do the first one straight downhill, because every animal wants to move either straight down or straight uphill. And then the other one is a little angly. And then the third one is like very, called a toenail blind, right? And you're just, they're kind of, they, it's very unnatural for them to go 45 degrees down a thing. And then the other one kind of almost at the top of the hill. So now you're beginning to teach them that the terrain, how to go straight even when there's terrain there. Because you can just set up something almost impossible if people have not prepared their dog for that. And so it's really nice to have a dog to, that knows how to negotiate terrain. So several things are happening here. One is you're practicing all the big league stuff in very simple pieces and no bad stuff is happening. Dogs aren't getting in trouble. You are finding out where your weaknesses are in some stuff, you know, in handling. Oh, I should do this. I shouldn't let that happen. Um, what kind of, how to set up marks well. You learn all that stuff. The dog begins to really trust you and really connect with you. And there are only upsides to that. So sometimes, you know, when you've done stuff like that with dogs and next season you're out running and there's this kind of gnarly blind, man, and it's like on the side of a hill and you know just what the dog's thinking and they know just what your cast means and you get it. And it just is the coolest feeling. And it's a, you got it, not by beating up dogs at all, not by corrections, not by setting up tests so they're ready for the test, but by just slowly building up their confidence and their skills and their trust in you. So get where you can set up really hard stuff. If you can train water, same thing. If you got water to train in, you don't have to do all tricky, hard, horrible, angle entry, shoreline, over the point stuff. But you can do, again, conceptual. Just get in the water, go across, come out. On this one, you're going to take a little bit of an angle. You got to get into just a little piece of the water and then and you can just do drills and or marks. Now, blinds are actually, when you're teaching watery stuff, 
when you're practicing water and stuff, I don't care if you have a field champion. If you have a piece of water you can use, get out your white bumper, set your dog down, and then set up five white bumpers over there the dog clearly sees, so you know they know what the expectation is. And you can do the most watery one first, and then each one is taking successively less water until the last one they just take two feet of it and then get up and out again. You can do that with cover. And again, when you first start that kind of, you know, People like to say, oh, we got to de-cheat and do all this stuff. I, I don't agree. I, I like to set up those drills and just they can see them so I know they know where they're going. So if, I, if I'm if i handling them because <clears throat> they're going to just cheat and go to the closer one, I can tweet Nick and go, bud, you got to go this way. So that's another, and you can do it in cover. You can do it over logs. You can do it over little bells of hay. You can do it over all kinds of stuff. And just do some lining drills. They need to see what's out there so that way you know they know where they're supposed to go. Now we're teaching. We are not testing them and correcting them when they, you know, make the wrong choice when they're not sure what you're doing anyway. I, that's just terrible. So that's another thing that you can do. Do some lining drills at home. White bumpers. White, there's all kinds of versions, you know, and, and people like baseball diamond and you get all this stuff. Man, take five white bumpers out there and pick them up either left to right or right to left one at a time and have them, you know, 30 feet out and 10 feet apart. And then have them 40 feet out and 5 feet apart. And you get that where you can have them 50 feet out and 2 feet apart. And you get them in order. Now you got a dog that really understands adjusting and picking and going exactly where you have them pointed. So do some of that. Sometimes practice casting. Again, I do not agree with the baseball diamond casting thing. I think you're just adding too many elements to something. So if you're going to do casting, uh, go cast on with two angle back piles. The dog sees them. You throw them out there. They sit straight and facing you and you you give tap and just teach them through attrition and repetition. Yeah, whenever my hand comes up this way, this is the exact angle you turn. And then instead of testing and having a bunch of them out there and whoop, wrong one, teach them where it's the only place they can go and then make it a habit. Later on, you can add more confusion to them. You can add a back pile and an angle back pile and get the difference there. But teach it first. Don't just go set it up because you saw it on YouTube, right? And then do it. Teach, teach, teach. It takes more time, more effort. Dogs like it a lot better, a lot more fun, and the results last. You don't have resentment, and you don't have pushback. And so often, that's what people have with dogs. So then, all right, there's one set of things. And when you get comfortable and the dog is really understanding the simplicity of what you're doing, and you can make this stuff really, you can make the blinds hard, you can make them long, you can make the marks long and all that stuff, but you have it broken down into very simple things. It just takes a lot of effort to go set up the stuff and then take it down. No shortcuts. No shortcuts. Every time you shortcut, the dog will shortcut you somewhere. So just don't do it. The math of that just works out that way. Another really nice thing to do when you're starting to get this going is to go set up. You can have your, I don't care, three, two or three uh, of your wingers or whatever's thrown for you. And so you have them set up, make out, make clearly that, hey, this is a gunning station, however you would do that. And then 
run that one mark. It, now we have some blinds planted. Now, the, obviously, they've got to be well beyond where the marks are going so that you can make them hot. But so you got all three of those things out there. So run, run one, <clears throat> you know, with perfection, right? Dog sits, doesn't move. You can say all kinds of things. Make sure it's not always the same timing. Make sure it's not the minute somebody behind you says dog, the next thing you do is send them. Because then that's what they're going to do is go after the sound they hear right after that. So make sure that, that you have them focused and listening to you. Run that mark and then run the blind behind it or associated with it. Again, it could be under the arc. It could be over the old fall. It could be tight behind that. It could be some, I don't know, somehow related to that mark. Go do that mark and a blind. And then do that on the next one, mark, and then a blind. And then the next one, mark and a blind. What you get when you do that is a dog that is relaxed. One, he's just looking at one bird going down. And then he runs a blind that's somehow related to that. And he's already done that after marks were thrown. So he already kind of knows that. So now you can run one tight to where you just pick something up and go 100 yards deep or 50 yards deep of it safely out of the, the area of the fall. And then teach the under the arc there until they just get so comfortable doing that stuff. And you have all the way till next spring, right? So they get so comfortable. Now, if some kind of person who knows everything sees that, they're going, well, why are you doing this? Isn't this dog already a this and a that? It's like, yeah, yeah. And, they, you know, it's not cool. It's not fun. It doesn't, it's, it's not like something, oh, wow, that's a great setup. But what you are doing is, again, you're keeping marking very polished. You're keeping handling under any conditions, anyway, anyhow, very polished. You're keeping that dog completely trusting you. You are keeping that dog from being resentful, afraid, concerned, worried, any of that. They get where they are just so reliable because you are and because you're spending all this time teaching so that that's a really that's a huge thing now i want to talk a little bit about upland because we're talking about a dog that has upland competitions but the stuff that i described you know i don't know how if how many days a week you have in the winter there's a lot less light but if you can in a morning or in an afternoon before the sun goes down just take an hour to, and man, can't be in the same place. You know, again, it's like dating your sister. Um, got to be somewhere where they're going, okay, I got to see exactly where that, not something that they know like the back of their paw, you know, and it's not really even a mark at all. Now, I lost my train of thought there. So now if you could do marks either two times a week or three, that would be good. If you could do blinds uh, two or three times a week, sometimes do them with the marks, like the way I've described, and sometimes just go out and do that big old, you know, series of six of them. Now, um, before that, before I get off the handling stuff, I, I didn't go into enough in this. When, you know, I've judged a lot this year, and I don't know how many times I've seen, not the really good pros, the <laughs> They just intuitively do not do this. How many people, though, I saw, they, their dog, they're handling their dog in a blind, and they're kind of all, you know, worried and upset, and they're going to give a big right angle back 
So they, they stop their dog, and then they move way over to the left so they can have a lot of room to give that angle right back, and they just gave a left cast, and they were unaware of it. And so their dog either goes left, and then they're mad, right? And then we got to correct them when, because they moved. And they moved to get a lot of room so they could really emphasize this right cast, but they moved left, and that's what the dog saw. So what do you think the dog's supposed to do? When you move left and then you move right. right. Take that out of it. Take that out of it. And somebody's going, well, get your arms up. That should be enough. No. <clears throat> These guys are body language readers. And so if you want your dog to go to the left and you stop him, take a few steps to the left, then give your left cast, and you'll get a left cast most of the time. So what I'm saying is be very cognizant of your body position, your arm position, your timing. Always take your time. Your dog should be able to sit for 20 seconds if you wanted. Then no auto casting, get rid of that. <clears throat> Just through all of these blinds that you run comfortably and relaxed, teach them when I blow the sit whistle, turn around and just wait. Because if they're all amped up to go one direction by making them wait and taking a step in the other direction before you give your cast, <clears throat> you can uh, strongly influence that. So get that kind of connection going, but be aware that your body position, your legs, your everything is a big deal. And I'll just say, handling the dog on a blind or the marks, um, if you have to be in like Hussein Bolt, I'm about ready to, to uh, set the world record for the 100-yard dash, that is not helping your dog. I don't know why people do that. To be bent over top of them or all kinds of weird, all of the energy, I'll just say this, and people can ignore this if they want, but, but I wouldn't. You have a tremendous energy field coming out of you frontwards. And to prove that, if I was standing right next to you, I would walk right up to you and stand 12 inches away or 8 inches away from you, frontwards. You are going to be so uncomfortable because all of my personal energy is going into your face. And it's awful. There's a lot of personal energy that way. So when you're bent and crooked and facing kind of the other way, then that's kind of the energy field that your dog is sensing. And what you want on any of this stuff that we're talking about right now is that dog focused entirely on that bird straight out in front of them. And so the more straight out you can have your energy field in the way you want that dog to go, the better. Because that they understand when you're all bent over them and torqued over them and your energy is kind of going down on them, you know, that's a little bit uh, discomforting as it would be if I stood over you while you were getting ready to run your dog and here I am all close and bent over you. would be like, what are you doing? But dogs can't ever say that. So be very aware, aware of what your personal energy is doing <clears throat> and have it only contributing, not fuzzing everything up. Just practice that when you're doing stuff with your dog. Now I'm going to talk about Upland and this is a little longer podcast so it's really only for somebody that just wants to hear about what to do. But let's talk about upland things. So what are the, the elements that go into a really good upland hunting dog, right? First one is that you guys are together. A together. I'll argue this with anybody. I don't want a dog where I tap them on the head or whatever you do, and they are 400 yards out there. I'd get English pointers and get on my horse and do it that, that way if I like that. But with our guys, I want us to be a team. 
And so when I head out to the northwest direction, the dog needs to go in the northwest direction. And when I suddenly bank over and start going in the northeast direction, the dog needs to notice that. So before you do any more bird stuff, any of that other stuff, make sure you have the movement through the field completely connected and together. And, you know, without screaming, yelling, shocking, loud whistles, or anything else. And just a walk through the field is always a good thing to do. I don't care. You know, I have TC dogs that I get to do stuff with. And I'll still just walk through the field with them and just get that connection going, which is so pleasurable. And when it's all pleasurable for me, it's all pleasurable for the dog, too. So that can be a big part all through the off-season of stuff you do. You two of you just go walking through a field, and the dog's out looking and stuff, but they can't go out of gun range, and they can't tune you out and ignore you. And you just make sure you keep that thing really balanced. So that, with no birds, now, now yes, have a collar on, all that stuff just in case something happens and you have to enforce something but mostly it's just to go get real connected however remember they cannot not listen to you they cannot come not come when called and they can't go out of gun range for you or at least any farther than you're comfortable in the upland field so even on your walks through the field because we want consistency because that's really important we don't want well if there's no birds out here i'll just stick close but if there's birds out, out here heck with you i'm out of there just through repetition of this sort teach them always this is about how far you go from me and you always have to stay aware of me and i'm important 100 percent of the time no matter how incredibly birdie you are very very one it's fun two it's really valuable come next season another thing that you can do is however your dog was wool broken or if it wasn't still do do woe stuff you can do woe stuff in the living room you can do it in the garage you can do it in the back steps you can do it in the field you you know just get them used to um just get them used to to standing there for you and, and and then you know then you add temptation make it interesting if it's just the same old thing all the time then woe becomes somewhere where they just tune you out and ignore you um so that's a, something that you can work on all along uh, and uh, kind of up in the ante. You know, if you could ever get in a bird pen, uh, you know, personally, I like that a lot. And it's not when you can get in a bird pen and they won't get the birds. That's not when it's good. It's when you get them in a bird pen and they will not look at a bird because they're going, not my birds. These are not my, and that's what woe is. Woe is not your bird. <laughs> so... When you can take them, get, bring them around live birds and they're on a wall and they're looking at the ground and they're looking at your shoes, anything but those birds, then you've got a dog that, that understands the not your bird thing. So if you can do that, that's, that's kind of important. Another thing to steady to wing and steady to shot. That's, that's not something you really want to duct tape. I know a lot of people do. And then you're kind of hanging on for dear life, you know, and hunting. You let them just break on the bird because, you know, you're hunting. I, I wouldn't do that if nationals and stuff like that are, are the goal. I would not. Uh, I would hold the same rules again because if you hold the standard all the time, the dog holds the standard all the time. If you do not, they do not. And so 
They're not just programmable robots that we go, all right, hunting mode, do whatever you want. Okay, now we're in competitive mode, do whatever I want. I, I just don't think that's very fair. I know sometimes it works with people, but I would just, it's really nice to have a dog that's reliable. So walking through a field and uh, having a gun go off and having their bottom drop or them just, whoa, stop, whatever it is, that's another drill you can do out walking. Gun went off, freeze. That's all. Just, just create a conditioned response. It's a lot easier than training it while they're wanting to go get a bird in the upland field. Then we got a big old correction. It's much easier if you just teach them gun, stop, gun, stop. And you can use your walk for that. You can just go out and do a drill with that, walking around, gun, stop. Whoa, sit, whatever it is you do. Some dogs, you tell them to sit, the pointing guys, you know, and they're not going to sit, but they just don't go. So you can do that drill. Another thing you can do, walking out through the field doing this stuff, you can have a bumper, you know, and they're just walking around and toss it <clears throat> where you can, you know, they're going to see it. And the minute they see that thing flying through the air, do your woe or your sit. Because in in a pointing lab competition, you know, they can't chase birds and they, at all. So when something's flying, they're done. They've got to stop. So that's another thing. And you can start with bumpers. You know, every time you see something flying through the air, you're done. Nacho bird, right? So you can do that. I, I, you know, don't you don't even need to mix them all up and do them at the same time. Maybe right before a test or something. But right now, just begin to condition in this habit. In a real friendly, positive, this is a fun day kind of thing. And just condition in that habit. Oh, priceless, priceless. Especially with the amount of time we have between now and next season. Now, you do, it would be very nice if you could get on birds, whether it's actually hunting, you know, or you're still just training. You don't really want to, especially at this highest level, for me, I know a lot of people have every kind of thing on the world on this stuff, but I still, when I'm training professionally, I do it once a week. As long as I have the bird supply and all that, I do it once a week. So that way it is the norm, right? It's, we know what the expectations are. It's a lot of fun. I follow the rules. I can find out where my dog is weak, you know, whether it's the gun or the feathers flying or the running on the ground thing or whatever it is. I can find out and then go back and adjust some of the work that I do on that particular response and behavior. It's, but if you, you know, that's, again, if you can, you know, do the canned bird thing because, you know, at least a couple times a month. If you can do that, if you're hunting, if you're hunting, you got to make a decision. Am I a hunter or am I a, a finisher of the national? <laughs> so if you're the finisher of the national, then make sure that you hold the standard right there, the same as you would if you were in an upland, competitive upland field. Um, do that. Something flies, can't go after it. Gun goes off, you stop. And do that in, uh, in hunting as well. I would not bend rules. That's just not fair. You know, because we like to, we assume they're flexible enough, and then they pay the price when they start doing that, you know, when you're getting ready for training. So that's another super important thing. So training by yourself, again, to me, there are tremendous advantages to it. The only things you do not have is you don't have, um, you know, the live flyer, <clears throat> that you're going to get in, in all AKC events. You don't have that live flyer. 
So that's what the weekend training things are for if you're going to be running that stuff. You do need to have that in there, um, preferably with some frequency. You know, the pros do it every week. But you will have to have some of that. So, and you will not have the excitement and the 15 trucks parked over there and dogs running around and somebody yelling at something. Um, <clears throat> you, you aren't going to have that. But I don't have that very often either. But what I, if you do have that dog that has the muscle memory and the mental memory of, okay, I get out, I sit down. She puts on the stuff. We walk over. I have to go do my thing. I do it. Then I'm done. I don't do it anymore. And I go to the holding blind and I wait. And then we're going to go do this. They're going to do like they've done all the time. And maybe there's trucks and people and stuff all around. But they are so muscle memoried into how you do this. And so are you. And that usually it's the people that are the weak link on that stuff because they're nervous and they move different and they exude different smells and they say things in a different tone of voice. And if you've done it a gazillion times, then on gazillion and, and one, you're going to do it the same way. So that is key important. So just keep your standard. You're the last series of the national. Now, that's hard to do until you get used to it. And once you're used to it, you could never, ever go back to sloppy ever ever now in terms of on the honor there's honoring is something that you know some people have trouble with and other people do not um one of the ways that you can do that is like on marks and stuff if you say something like get it or whatever right and and they and something that's real is not a command to go but is tempts them you know and teach them to resist stuff like that there's, if you have more than one dog, right, put one over there on the honor and then run the other dog on a marker. Not all of them. I, I wouldn't, I don't, honoring is not through four marks. But the other dog being sent and taken off on the mark, do it on a long one or something and then, uh, you know, stake the dog out. Okay, now you're off the honor. You can do a lot of that stuff. The biggest way to keep dogs from breaking on the honor though is to have them think they always have to listen to you 100 percent of the time that's the biggest factor so if there's places where you let them get away with a little slop and a little movement and a little whatever then that little door that i said is open where they get to make some choices they're going to make some choices so what you have to do that's a that's a handler responsibility you have to make sure the slop is not there. The looseness is not there. That's probably why, you know, most of the dogs that I've had have not broken on the honor because, oh, she said sit. And then I step away a little bit, which means we aren't running marks. And, you know, it, it tends to work out well. Consistency, consistency, consistency. And I'll even say this to everybody on your handling. Do it in a mirror. I don't care if you've been doing this for 10 years. Do it in a mirror. And look what your arm looks like. Picture that arm 150 yards away. What does it look like 150 yards away? You know, are you kind of shoving it halfway out in front of you so you're like pushing them back? They can't see that when they're out very far, especially if you're a short person. They can't see that. So make sure your casts are all in the plane of your body that they show the same relaxedness that you want to have the dog to have. So if you're going to give a left angle back because they really need to get in that piece of water, 
then give a nice relaxed left angle back that says you are getting in the water not a hopeful thing or a worried thing they read every bit of your body body language but uh you're gonna get in the water now cast but you have to practice that stuff and just trust me on this one watching what people say they did and watching what i saw them do sometimes there's a big space between that so a lot of times what you think you're doing um you're not or there's other stuff too that you're doing and so none of us is brilliant enough to know everything we're doing go get your iphone or ipad or something put it behind you on a chair turn on the film thing and film yourself running a couple blinds do you like what you see is this is this good never mind the dog watch the handler do you like what you see do it when you're doing uh your marks is your body language exactly what you want on the line because if you've never watched yourself, you really assume you know everything you're doing, and you probably don't. So that would be an excellent thing to do. Just film. Nobody else has to see it. And if you do something crazy, nobody ever has to know. But just improve yourself. Because the more in control and relaxed you are up on the line, the more control and relaxed you have your dog in. So it's really, really important. So I would go for consistency, polish up those skills. Don't worry about setting up a big triple and a double blind with a walk-up and this and that. And by the way, you can practice walk-ups, right, with your launchers. Just walk up and launch it. And when it's in the air, enforce sit, just like you do in the upper field. But this is a sit. So just teach them every time you see something flying out of that, if you aren't set, you need to get set. And that's a conditioning thing. And you do it with a little bit of pressure. All conditioning and enforcement, you guys. I'm not a big I'm not a big collar guy at all. But on things that I need, like a walk-up, you can't take off on a walk-up. So I will create a very conditioned response to, hold, burn air, sit. And you have to use some enforcement on that. Practicing your walk-up. Practicing your steady to wing. Practicing your steady to shot. Don't just... Tell them to be still, enforce them a few times, and then if they ever start getting weak and wobbly, come back in and enforce it, even if they're doing it right, because we're conditioning that response in to that. So you can practice your walk-ups on your singles. If something in the air, drop that bottom. Don't. I almost never do multiples until you are so incredibly perfect on all this other stuff. But most you create... Your confidence and, and connection will, will exceed your nervousness and a more energetic environment. But be very aware of dog's body position. What is that telling them? Your body position. What is that telling them? What, you have to be very mindful of all these things. Again, film it. Keep things simple. Watch yourself. You're definitely part of any issues that you've had, if not oh, say 100% responsible, um, it, watch what that is and just work on the very small things. And there are, you know, there's lots of drills and stuff. Drills are good. Do not make any of this boring. Do, do not. This is, I don't know about you. When I was in school, I loved school. Unless it was really boring, then I was like in a coma. I was like, why do I have to listen to this? I've heard it five times. Don't do that to your dog. Don't repeat the marks don't repeat the blinds don't do any of the stuff in the same place make it okay now what are we doing today 
and and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to put this out on a podcast. Uh, the meandering mark that I told you about, I'm not going to, that's like super top secret stuff. The meandering mark that I've told you about, always do those. Always do those at least, if not once a week, two or three times a month. That huge downsides to doing the meandering mark. And that's something you can do all by yourself that pays very big dividends. It just takes time. So all that stuff that I'm telling you isn't done widely at all because it's got to walk a lot. And you got to, you know, do take time and do six blinds instead of two hard ones. But it, it pays off. And it uh, you have the dogs full buy-in because they don't have to go out there and go, oh, geez, I hope I don't get in terrible trouble today. They begin to get a high level of trust in you. And that's what the best of the best, when you see them with a dog, that's between them. That dog knows exactly what the handler wants, and the handler knows exactly what the dog needs, and it's a real good team. So you can do that. And it's being by yourself, as far as I'm concerned, is almost an advantage. You do have a training group. I hope you can get to some time to do the multiple work and all that and do a triple or a double and do some of that kind of stuff. And, you know, every now and then, if you need to make yourself feel better, Go do a double and a single with your three, you know, every now and then. But most of all, that's not what it's about. We're not about practicing the test. We're about teaching all of the elements that go into that test and getting them as refined as absolutely possible. So that's a good start. I, I, I you know, if, if you need some more information or more detail, I'm happy to do that. But that would be a good start on how do you train by yourself and get all this stuff done. So that's kind of what I've done most of my life, and I, I hope that's helpful. So I'm putting that one out, and I should be back next week with more of the stuff I was doing before. So I hope that helps. Meanwhile, good luck at the end of the season, everybody. Happy, safe hunting, and I will be back soon.